0: You're listening to an audio message from The Well. A gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. To the choir master, according to Muth Laban, a psalm of David, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence. For you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne giving righteous judgment. You have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy came to an end in everlasting ruins. Their cities you rooted out. The very memory of them has perished. But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established His throne for justice. And He judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed. A stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know Your name put their trust in You. For You, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek You. Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the peoples His deeds. For he who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. Be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me. O you who lift me up from the gates of death. That I may recount all your praises, that in the gates of the daughter of Zion I may rejoice in your salvation. The nations have sunk. In the pit that they made, in the net that they hid, their own foot has been caught. The Lord has made Himself known. He has executed judgment. The wicked are snared in the work of their own hands. Hegion silla. The wicked shall return to Sheol, all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten. And the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord. Let not man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. Silla. Father, I ask that you would come now a special way. Speak to us through the, the preaching of your word. Father, we know that your word is powerful. We know that at Your Word, all things leaped into existence that did not exist previously. We ask, Father, that Your Word would do that same kind of work this morning, that You would call into existence in our hearts a faith that did not exist previously to this moment. We trust You to do that work. We ask that You would, by Your own might, remove anything that would Seek to hinder us from hearing. I want to pray that you would come and be strength those who walked in here feeling weak. And be healer of those who walked in here feeling sick and in distress. And be the one who calls out to those who are just walking in rebellion. Call them back to repentance and walking in your presence. And Lord, we beg you to do this work. And as you do this work, Father, we ask that you would reveal the triumphant power of the cross of Jesus and the empty tomb of Jesus. And that you would apply that to our hearts this morning. trust you to do all of that and more through a weak vessel like me. Jesus' name, amen. So I think you guys might agree with this statement, music is moody, right? We found that out this morning. Probably already knew that. I don't think you need me to tell you that like it's anything new, but music is moody. Even for the most unemotional or unfeeling of people, uh, music has a way of moving our emotions, right? And I think in that, uh, genre matters as well. Not sure what kind of genre you like the most, but um, did some thinking on this uh, country music. Um, country music, uh, especially old country music, is kind of a love of mine. I'm kind of can, for for me can just kind of emotionally move me to that place where I'm ready to go fishing on the bank of a river, you know, with a cooler full of some really ice cold beverage. Um, that's what country does for me, um, especially if I have my four wheel drive. Um, Pop music, rap music, um, kind of put me in a, in a dancing mood maybe. Um, you don't want to see that, but. A blues music, most of you know that my, my, my favorite is probably blues. Um, blues music really, uh, for me, kind of puts me in a, in a just a space of like inner reflection. Um, causes me to be very contemplative. Um, light rock, uh, if you like light rock, um, like maybe uh, Journey or Kansas, um, that, that kind of music for me kind of puts me in a place where I just kind of want to snuggle with my loved ones a little bit closer. Um, heavy rock. You know I like heavy rock, too. Heavy rock, hard rock, got the screeching guitars, got the, the pounding drums, the really loud vocals. Um, the older I get, the more I want that to be turned down, <laughs> but I can still hang. With the best of them, Seth. <laughs> hey. um, but but he, but that kind of music, that hard kind of heavy rock music, it can it can take the most fearful of us and make us feel like I am ready to charge the mountain. I charge the gates of hell right now. If you give me the right music, right? So, um, regardless of whether or not you like all of those genres, again, I think the fact remains that. Music is moody, and since music is moody in a way that it connects and moves our emotions, um, I think what happens oftentimes is that music then can move our emotions to a different place. It 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 has a transformative effect, right? Uh, The early Reformers kind of had this figured out too when they took uh, old bar tunes and then made them some of our most beloved hymns today. Why? Because the people then could remember a tune, and they'd heard those tunes. So this is a way of teaching theology, teaching who the God of the Bible is. Um, So so music is is a very powerful tool um, in the life of uh, the believer and and the church. Um, uh, Same is true, obviously, as I'm saying, um, songs that we've seen here on Sunday mornings. I think you experienced that this morning. Some of the songs that we've seen, they're, they're very slow, they're, they're very melodic. They kind of draw out the emotions of our heart in a kind of a soft way maybe. Uh, um, at times, maybe it's even painful. I shed tears sometimes when we're singing songs. I know many of you do at times as well. Sometimes it's um, painful, sometimes it's because of encouragement, right? We need to be encouraged and, and those songs have a tendency to do both of those some of the songs that we sing, as, again, as you noticed this morning, some of them kind of a, have a heavy, kind of a loud, kind of a, a rhythmic feel to them as they kind of remind us of the victory that we have in Christ Jesus, right? As we, we live in this war zone of, of sin. These songs give us strength, these songs bolster our courage, they, they, they motivate us to keep. Fighting the good fight of the faith. Um, Music is moody. And the mood of a song has the power to reveal our deepest affections. Also has the power to transform our lives, I believe. This is why the Psalms have been such a main staple of my spiritual diet. I imagine for many of you as well, but part of um, the main staple of my spiritual diet for nearly 20 years of following the Lord. The Psalms are no joke. Uh, They're raw, they're real, they don't don't sugarcoat anything. They they always increase my affections for more of the Lord. And in Psalm 9, the the one that we just read, is really uh, no exception. Uh, You might notice that the the first words of the Psalm, Uh, in the the first words of the Psalm, we kind of pick up three simple things that may not seem uh, real important, but I think they're important. First, uh, words of the psalm say, to the choir master, according to Muth Laban, a psalm of David. You might go, why is he starting there? It's important. Choir master, um, kind of a no-brainer. He's the song leader. Uh, it's kind of an instructive opening verse. So the choir master is a song leader. And then uh, the next thing you see is according to Muth Laban. What the heck is Muth Laban? I have no clue. Well, I do kind of have a clue, but I don't have a clue. There's lots of argument in the scholars over what Laban is. But at the end of the day, what it seems like um, is it's, it's most likely the rhythm or the beat of the song, kind of like saying, hey, I want, you, uh, I want you to sing this song according to the tune of Mary Had a Little Lamb. That's, that's basically what that is. So it's, it's telling us, choir master, you lead the song, you do it, this kind of beat, and don't forget, this is a song of David. He was the author. So those are kind of the three things you learn in, in, that, in that first line. Um, and if you know anything about David, David was a fighting man, king, also a loving man. Um, a lot of ways we could describe David, could spend lots of time here uh, doing so. What 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 kind of a song would this have been? We could argue about this all day long, but I think, I think. In my study, as I've looked through some of the documentation, I'd be prepared to say that I think Psalm... Nine is probably kind of a hard rock song. what I think. Kind of a hard rock song, probably with the, I don't know, you might even be able to say some heavy metal strewn throughout it. It's a heavy song. Um, and it's a hard, I think, thumping kind of a song. Why do I say that? I say that because it's a song of victory. Okay? So it's not a song that you cry to. It's a song where you let out your victory cry. It's a, it's a song where you let out your war cry. It's a song that would encourage you and bolster your courage. I say that for a lot of reasons. One comment that I wanted to give to you from Charles Spurgeon says that this song is a song of triumph. Spurgeon goes on to say, he says, Our King, Jesus, has been triumphant over every power that comes against us, both physical and spiritual. So uh, this is Spurgeon commenting on what Psalm 9 is. I want you to look at it again with me see if you can kind of pay attention to kind of the the rhythm of victory triumph as we work our way through it first thing i see verses one through six god has been triumphant in the past first thing i see god has been triumphant in the past when you look at these verses one through six you see that david is is pouring his heart out to the lord as he surveys the wonderful work, the wonderful actions of the Lord in the past. Okay, listen, David, when he's doing this, he's not going at this half-heartedly. He's not like, oh God, yeah, you showed up a few times in the past. He's going at this wholeheartedly. He even says that. He's pouring out his grateful praise to the Lord with his entire being. In God, David finds his gladness because of the Lord's triumph. In the past. David has seen his enemies fall down in destruction. Why? Because of the Lord's preservation of him. He recognizes this and recognizes that God alone is the one who sustains him. God alone is the one who maintains him. God alone is the one who preserves his life. What David recognizes is that God alone is the one who sits in perfect Judgment of his enemies. You see, at the very word of God, David's enemies had been rightly scolded. His enemies had perished because of their own wickedness. Their names had been wiped out completely. That's an encouragement, isn't it? Their names have been wiped out completely. They're like nameless people without hope. Their lives were in complete and utter ruins. Everything that David's enemies had sought to build with their own human hands had been destroyed by God. They're completely forgotten. This is the kind of victorious triumph that our God has over every enemy that comes against us, whether that enemy be physical or spiritual. The cross... And the empty tomb of Jesus Christ has utterly destroyed everything that could have any lasting harm against us. Listen, Satan's been castrated, okay? Sin has been erased. The grave holds no power over the believer's life. Is there anything else I can preach this morning that would excite your heart at all? That kind of kicks the teeth in some of the um, placid, principalized, go do this and go do that kind of preaching I could bring, isn't it? I don't want to care about what I could walk out of here and go do better in terms of managing my finances better, building a healthier marriage. All I need to hear that Jesus has been victorious. Jesus has been triumphant. And every time I fail in my finances, every time I I fail in my sin, every time I fail in my marriage, every time I fail as a parent, what do I need to hear? Not, Not put your bootstraps on and go do it better. What I need to hear is Jesus has been triumphant. That's what will motivate. That's what will transform. That's what will change. Anything less than that is mere moralism. Second thing I see here, that God will be triumphant in the future. I, I love the rhythm of this song. Love it. Verses 7 through 12, like, like we know here that our, that our lives are not just made up of past events, right? Not just made up of past events. Some of us struggle. I struggle with this, living more in the past than anywhere else, right? Ugh. Um. Our, our lives are not made up of just mere past events, old hurts, old wounds, old victories. We, we actually do live in the present, right here, right now, and there's real stuff going on right now in our lives and in the world that we live in, right? But this psalm, this song, it, it moves um, uh, not to the present, uh, it moves to the, to the future, I, I think David was kind of a genius in this. Maybe it's just, we know the Holy Spirit inspired him, so we'll just say the Holy Spirit is really a genius, which should be because he's God, right? So he moves from the past uh, to the future before he focuses on the present. I think there's something really genius in this, okay? You might just write that rhythm down, right? Uh, God's been triumphant in the past. Um, God is also gonna be triumphant in the future. Why does he make that kind of a move? I think, I think it's to give us hope in the present. That's what I think. I think I could stand on that. I'm going to stand on that this morning. That God has been triumphant in your past and God will be triumphant in the future. Therefore, in your present circumstances, you can trust that He is going to be triumphant. That's hope. David reminds us that David is still on his throne. And that in the future David will never be removed from his throne. That God will never be removed from his throne. That throne that God sits on in heaven, it's an eternal throne where he reigns supreme in perfect, absolute justice. This is what this is. This is God's character on display. And in God's character, we see no blemish. <coughs> There's no variation. He's, he's completely trustworthy. God does not change. Because of that, you can trust Him completely. God is our place of refuge when we are oppressed and depressed. God is our hiding place when we need to escape the trouble of this life. And what David says here basically is that if you know Him, then you trust Him. And if you trust Him, then you know Him. And if you look for Him... He will not be hard to find. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you if you're chasing after Him. That's the promise of this passage. A person who believes all of these things can't help but do what? Sing praises to our God. They can't help but to tell everyone about how great and majestic and powerful and trustworthy our Father is. The question is, is this you? Do do you trust God? Do you believe this? Do you believe that God will be triumphant, not just in the past, but that He will be triumphant in the future? Are you hanging your hope on that? Are you staking your life on that truth? That God will be triumphant in the future. Look at number three. Look at number three from verses 13 and 14. We come back to the center, to the present. God is triumphant in affliction. You could say just the present, but I think affliction is really the theme of verses 13 and 14. See, our song has moved our emotions, I think. It's moved my emotions to reflect on the past, to think about the mighty ways that I've seen Him show up in my life, the powerful things that He's done in my life. And in other people's lives. It's moved me then to look to the future, but now it moves my heart to ponder the present. Are you afflicted in this present moment with something? Does it feel like your enemies maybe have you locked down in their teeth? Whatever enemy that may be that you have, whether a physical affliction or a spiritual affliction or a demonic affliction, do you feel as though you walked in here this morning and your enemy has you clenched in his teeth, and you can't get free. Walk in, crawl in here, feeling like you're just barely getting by. I want you to be encouraged with what you see here, because David reminds us with what I perceive to be this loud, booming, kind of driving drum when he says that God avenges the blood of his saints. The truth here is that He sees you. He sees you. He sees all of you. Every piece of you. He's thinking about you. You haven't left His mind if you belong to Him. Well, you could come to Him just like David is coming to Him in this psalm. And you can cry out for God's grace, God's mercy. You can can beg him to see your affliction. You can cry out to him because of your hateful enemies, whether those enemies are some physical oppression or spiritual oppression. God alone is the one who holds the power to lift you up when you feel like you're about to die. Notice this too. Look at verse 14 for a minute. I don't want you to miss this. David's not just Amped up because he knows that God's going to triumph in the midst of his current affliction. David's not just amped up because he's looked back and he's saying that that God has been triumphant in the past and that God is going to be triumphant in the future and that he's he's definitely triumphant in the present. He's not just jacked up because of that. David's not just amped up because uh, he knows that God's going to get him out of some painful circumstance. David is jacked up because he knows that when God shows up, it's going to be another opportunity for he, David, to praise and proclaim the name of a majestic and powerful and triumphant God to a watching world. That's what's got David so jacked up. Are you jacked up about that? That's my question. Man, would you walk out of here today and be excited about that? David, this this song is not about getting out of trouble. This song isn't about having a better life. This song is all about proclaiming the victory and the triumph of gracious and merciful and faithful God. God. God is not a God who leaves you in your affliction alone. God is a God who meets you triumphantly in your afflictions. If He didn't, wouldn't be God do you believe this is this the God that you trust in do you believe that God is triumphant in affliction the fourth thing I see is that God is triumphant in judgment verses 15 through 16 you might scan those verses real quick and just review them in your mind God is triumphant in judgment 15 and 16 our God is perfect he's perfectly impartial in his execution of judgment for that we can be sure <coughs> the punishment always fits the crime would be the way to say it even for those of us who have trusted in Christ the punishment still fits the crime because the punishment that Jesus bore on the cross was more than adequate to pay the price for our war crimes against Him. But for those who have not yet trusted in Christ, for those who may never trust in Christ, for those who continue in their unholy war against God, you can be assured that they too will pay a price that fits their crime. This might sound harsh, but it is. They will sink in the pits that they dig. They will fall into the nets that they cast. They will be found out by the work of the very own hands. Now this, this is a comfort to any person who has been falsely accused or wrongfully wounded. Or slandered in this life. To know that those who would come against you in this way, God's got this. You can be just like Jesus. You don't need to defend yourself. You can be silent as a sheep is before its shearer. Why? God will handle his enemies. And if you have an enemy, and you're a believer, Nine times out of ten. That enemy is your enemy because there's a spiritual battle going on and there is a a spiritual force that is controlling them that hates the spirit that's alive inside of you. So you, you are left at that point to love. Rest, comfort, and peace and know that God's got this. Our God will be perfect in His execution of judgment against our, and really ultimately, His enemies. He will make Himself known on the day of judgment. A perfect justice will prevail in the perfect presence of God. What kind of God would He be if there was no justice in Him? Our hearts cry out for justice for those who are oppressive. And in God we have that. Triumph in judgment. Uh, this truth should really cause all of us to stop and reflect for a moment, shouldn't it? When, when you think about these hard things that we're, that we're, we're, we're looking at, uh, you should stop. We should both stop. We should reflect. We should ask. Like, do, do I believe this is the question we must ask? Do we believe this? Do we believe that God is triumphant in Judgment. What difference should this make in my life if I do believe this? Look back with me for a moment at verse 16. I'll take this, this moment with us. Um, you look at these these words at the end of verse sixteen says higayon, sila. Strange word. Again, sila means pause, reflect on what's just been said. What's this word higayon mean? Most of the scholars would say that what that word means is Take kind of a dramatic pause. Take a breath and tune your instrument. How does that that reflect on us this morning? What could we get from that? Tune your instrument and take a breath about this. What if God's word and and the preaching of God's word could now somehow tune your heartstrings to a different beat? What if in those moments as you sat and you thought, you reflected and you listened, that maybe the Spirit of God might really come in. Tune your heartstrings to this truth that God alone is triumphant. Think about that for a moment. Fifth thing that I see here is that God is triumphant in justice. Verses 17 through 18, already kind of alluded to justice because I couldn't help myself. One thing we can count on is that justice will prevail, right? Uh, The courtroom of heaven will not allow a criminal to go free without the penalty being paid. You Imagine you have somebody who walks into your house, murders your wife or murders your husband, murders your children, and they walk into court the next week. You're in the courtroom. You're waiting for justice to prevail. The judge says, Got all the evidence, certainly guilty. I think I'm just going to let him go free. How infuriated would you be? That's not the picture that we have of the courtroom of heaven. The courtroom of heaven will not allow a criminal to go free without the penalty being paid. David knows this. I believe he takes comfort in this. He knows that wicked people will not go on living without the sentence being served. You see, for every person who decides to forget God, march to the beat of their own drum, do whatever they want, uh, these people will be forgotten in eternity. That's the truth of these verses, I believe. Now, the needy person, the needy criminal who walks into that courtroom, who knows that he's a needy criminal, walks into that courtroom and he's knows his desperate need for a Savior, puts all of his faith and his trust in a person named Jesus who died on a cross, that person will not be put aside because for that person, justice has been served on the back of an innocent person named Jesus. That's the message of the Gospel. The poor person, and all of us, let's face it in this room, No matter how much money you have in your wallet or your bank account when you walked in here, every one of us is a poor, needy person because of our sin. We need Jesus and all of his explicit wealth, grace, riches, and mercy, riches, and love. Come, swoop us up and say you're okay. You're free. Free. Forever come join the song, all the redeemed. How would you run out of that courtroom? you would be yelling at it, wouldn't you? I'm free! Paul! Poor person who knows his pitiful state, the needy person who calls on Jesus, place their hope in Christ. These are people who will not be left to rot. God is perfectly just, and in his justice, he triumphs over wickedness and evil. That's what God does triumphs over wickedness and evil. Number six, and last point God is triumphant in humility. He's triumphant in humility, verses 19 to 20. <clears throat> One of the things that we know, I think, if we haven't read it yet in Scripture, maybe we. Uh, We kind of instinctively know that a proud person cannot stand in the day of judgment. God opposes the proud, He sustains the humble, or He uplifts the humble. This is why David can cry out to the Lord to arise and let not man prevail with his wicked human plans. Have you ever prayed that prayer? Have you ever been in that place where you just cry out to God and you just go, God, please don't let that person prevail with their wickedness. It could be something personal maybe, a family member, a relative, or a friend, or old friend, or someone who's just been after you. It could just be simply that you're watching the news, and you, you see some of the wickedness and the horrific evil in this world, and you just say, God, God, please do not let that wicked person prevail. Don't let them continue. You know, when I see the psalmist pray this way, it, just, it gives me some freedom to say, you know what, it's okay to pray that way. I believe David uh, struggled with pride at some points in his life. If you know the life of David much, I mean, he was a man that accomplished some pretty great things by the power of the Lord, but I think he got it wrong quite a bit too. I think he struggled with pride at points. I believe that he did march to the beat of his own drum a few times at least, but I also know that the David, David's been through some things. David's been knocked down. He's been humbled by the sheer weight of his own incompetence and his own incompleteness, his own inadequacy as a man. I think that David does trust that the Lord is triumphant in humility. When you look at the language of these final verses, I just think you see David is a guy that knows that that God is the final judge of all mankind. He desires, I think, for others to come Uh, to that same place of knowledge in their humanness so that they might come to a place of humility before God. That's really what humility is, is just saying, you know what? God, I'm not you. I'm not you. I can't control the outcome of this. I'm going to trust in you in the midst of all this. Why? What would move David to say that? I'll tell you. He knows that God has been triumphant. He knows that God will be triumphant he knows that God simply is triumphant. So it causes humility to emanate out of David and help us to understand that we are but mere mortal men and women. Our God, though, is triumphant. He's set against the backdrop of my own inadequacies, it causes the greatness and the power, the majesty of God. Be so awesome. What else could you want other than the presence of a triumphant God? Conclusion um, I asked this question What is it that stops us from walking in the victory of this triumphant king that we are looking at this morning? What stops us? Well, for Christians to say, man, I know Jesus died on the cross for me. He rose again on the third day for Christians, professing Christians, to say that and then to turn around every other day and to fall into the kinds of sin that we fall into, right? You slander people, you gossip about them, you you look at things on your computer that you shouldn't look at, right? You get angry. Not, Not just you, me, do this, right? We do this. What would cause us to do those kinds of things after being confronted with and trusting in this triumphant God that we see in Scripture? What causes us to walk in despair or fear? Be taken over by lust, anger, jealousy, greed? And could, the, could the answer just simply be like, do we really need to look for like a big rock somewhere? Could it just be simply that We struggle with unbelief. Isn't that it? You just struggle to believe. One day you say, "Ah, I trust in God. I believe in him. And then the next day you do something that just totally makes you the biggest hypocrite on the face of the planet. Every one of us. Hypocrites, right? Don't we struggle with that? Try as you might to cover it up. Pretend. Run and hide in your behavior, whatever it is that you do, that I do, that we all do. When we all struggle to believe that God is good, don't we struggle to believe that He is faithful, that He is loving, that He is merciful, that He is present, that He is patient, that He is kind, that He is triumphant? Don't we all look to some kind of earthly thing to get from that earthly thing what only our Heavenly Father can give us. Hey, listen, whether it's some conquest for you, whether it's a relationship for you, or a, a pastime that you used to escape with, or maybe it's a new possession you're dreaming about, or, or some old dirty habit that you have, whatever it is, we all struggle with trading in the very perfect presence of our Heavenly Father for the rotting presence of some earthly things. And one of the guys that preached while I was gone, as I was listening. Uh, he said the direct line to God's presence is through the cross. One of the clearest things I heard. I heard that line and I just broke. Like it seems so simple, but a direct line to God's presence is the cross. Where have you spent your time lately? If you want to bolster your belief this morning, trusting in Christ, then you've got to find yourself at the foot of the cross where Christ's blood was poured out. Where He was horrifically beaten and bruised and crucified. Where He was left alone by everyone that said, I will not leave you. And he did that for you and for me. At the core of everything here, it's a belief issue. And again, as I close, Charles Spurgeon I think helps us again he says this it should be on the screen for you I love Spurgeon's way with words it says, unbelief that cooting nightbird cannot live in the light of divine knowledge it flies before the son of god's great and gracious name In the light of the past, the future is not so doubtful. Since the same Almighty God fills the throne of power, we can, with unhesitating confidence, exult in our security for all time to come in our triumphant King. Amen? Pray with me. Father, help us to trust in your triumphant work at the cross and the empty tomb of Jesus this morning. Amen. As we close, we close with communion. I have missed this part for the weeks that I've been gone. It's the way that we end every week because we want to send you out Basking in the power and the triumph. The cross of Christ in the empty tomb. This is a meal that uh, we share together every week. We break the bread. We take a piece of it and we dip it in the juice, in the bowls. and We do that and we remember this is Christ's work on our part. So that we do not have to work to earn anything. There's nothing that you could earn that would be good anyways. Through that work of Christ at the cross, you can come to him and say, I am weak, I am needy, I am sick, I am helpless. I'm trusting in your power and your triumph for all of eternity. You're listening to an audio message from The Well. A gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.TheWellHastings.com.